The Vape Passion Show, episode 68. In this episode, we're going to talk about how the Cole Bishop bill didn't make it into the 2017 U.S. budget. The FDA has delayed compliance deadlines by three months. Could a small town in Wisconsin save the vaping industry? Is it unethical to buy vape products released after the deeming date? And a new study shows vaping doesn't promote cancer growth. Hey, welcome back to the Vape Passion Show. This is episode 68, and I'm recording this on Sunday, May 7th. If you're listening to the podcast right now on iTunes, you're missing out on seeing my big old beard being trimmed down. But you can check it out on YouTube if you care to see. Yep, I finally got my beard and hair cleaned up. So late last year in October, I decided that I wanted to grow my hair out for six months. The hair on top of my head, my beard, and my mustache. I trimmed my mustache a little bit, but nothing else. I've never, and I've never grown out my beard before, so I wanted to see what it would look like. Um, I didn't trim it at all, not even little touch-ups. And it got pretty, pretty wild. Uh, well, that six-month mark finally hit last Sunday, so on Monday morning before work, I immediately went to a fancy barber shop in downtown Denver and got a beard and haircut trim. So you have no idea how much better I feel after this. I, I really didn't like the way I looked with a beard, with the big beard. Um, I really like a short beard. So, and as it gets hotter, I'll probably just shave my head off and trim my beard all the way down like I use, usually do in the summer. Nothing new going on with me as far as vaping goes. I'm still using the Predator 228 mod and the Icon RDA. It's a great combination and yeah, I just I just love that setup. I did get an order of flavor concentrates in from Misig Express, but that's about it. So actually I've been nerding out quite a bit this week. I started watching Luke Cage on Netflix and I binge, I binge watched the first six episodes and will probably binge watch the next seven this week. That show is so good. If you don't know anything about it, it's a show based on the Marvel comic book uh, superhero, Luke Cage. In the comic book, Luke grew up in a gang in Harlem, but changed his ways as he grew older. His childhood friend, Stryker, continued a life of crime. Stryker's girlfriend became scared of the life that he was leading, and she left him for Luke. Stryker became enraged and planted heroin in Luke's home and then called the police on him and Luke was sent to prison. In prison, Luke was subjected to an involuntary procedure which gave him superhuman strength. After he got the strength, he busted out of prison and returned to Harlem where he became a superhero for hire. And that's pretty much the gist of it. The show sticks to that origin story for the most part, but there are some minor differences. The comic book was created during the black exploitation era of the early 70s. Luke Cage was actually the first black superhero and main character of a comic book. So that's pretty cool. Anyway, the creators of the show did a great job of capturing that black exploitation feel of the films of these days. And I, and I really love that modernized funk and soul music that, that plays throughout each show. So each episode is an hour long, so you'll need to set aside a little bit of time to watch it. But it's absolutely worth it, and I highly recommend it. And then yesterday was National Free Comic Book Day across the United States. So I took my daughter and dragged my wife to a local comic book shop to get some free comics. It was a lot of fun. My daughter has a bunch of superhero uh, capes and masks that she got for Christmas. So we dressed her up as Batgirl, and people loved her. She had a lot of fun, too. Um, we each got three comic books, and we met Stan Yan, who is the author of a children's book called There's a Zombie in the Basement. And Stan, he even read the book to her, which she loved. So we bought the book, and he drew a little zombie girl in it, and then signed it. So yeah, it was a good time. And we read some of those comics before bed last night, and uh, my daughter, she was really into it. So I might have a future comic book nerd on my hands, which I wouldn't mind at all, really. So that's what I've been up to recently. And now I want to talk about something that uh, Wayne from DIY or Die said on one of his recent podcasts. Now, I can't remember what episode this was, but Wayne talked a little bit about Patreon. He mentioned that he's noticed a lot of vape reviewers setting up Patreon accounts and asking their subscribers to donate without actually providing any additional value to their patrons. 
Now, he believes that this is a bad use of Patreon, but I, I disagree, kind of. So the, the whole idea of Patreon is to use it as a platform to support creators. Creators don't have to provide extra value to their patrons, although I do think that is a good idea. I don't actually offer any extra value to my patrons, or to my patrons, which might be why I only have a couple of patrons, but it's not because I don't want to, it's just that I don't have any ideas of what I can offer. Now, I set up my Patreon account just in case anyone wanted to support the work that I put into my weekly podcast, but I'd love to offer some rewards of some kind to my patrons. Um, I can't really do giveaways because I'm too poor to buy stuff to give away, and I'm not a big enough reviewer for companies to send me, uh, you know, extra stuff to give away. So that's kind of out of the question. Um, but maybe I could do bonus videos or something. Uh, if any of you guys have any ideas of some extra value that I could add, um, please let me know, even if you're not a patron. Um, think about what it would take for you to consider being a patron of mine. Even if the only way you would ever actually do it would be for the chance to win a giveaway, let me know. Um, maybe I can figure something out there. Okay, well, let's get into the news. Um, the first big story I wanna talk about this week is that the Cole Bishop bill didn't make it into the 2017 US budget. So the Cole Bishop bill, known as HR 1136, is designed to change the predicate date for vaping products to August 2016, uh, rather than all the way back to the year 2007. The bill was added to the, the fiscal year 2017 omnibus spending bill as a rider in hopes that it would get approved along with the US budget. Unfortunately, the bill was stripped out of the spending bill in large part by the Democrat party, um, who in a press release was quoted as saying, the omnibus does not include a house provision allowing thousands of unregulated tobacco products to escape full FDA review. Now, I'll be honest, I, I don't think anyone really thought this amendment or this bill was going to make it as a rider, uh, but everyone was hopeful. Even still, I think it's worth trying. You know, you don't make progress by giving up or remaining silent. We have to keep pounding that pavement and, and just making noise so that our voices are heard. Eventually, we'll win this fight. For now, advocacy groups like CASA and trade organizations like Safada are recommending that vapors continue their support for HR 1136. Um, so just reach out to your local legislators and tell them why they should support HR 1136. There is another budget that needs to be approved in September, um, five months from now. So we'll get another chance then. We just have to keep earning support for this bill so that it's more likely to pass when that time comes. And Casa, they had also briefly mentioned Duncan Hunter's bill, HR 2194, which they are also supporting to some degree. Casa mentioned that there are problems with Hunter's bill and they are communicating with him about those issues. So hopefully a, a revised version of this bill is in the works. Um, and Hunter, you know, Hunter really should have worked with groups like Casa and Safada before finalizing his bill in the first place. I don't know why he didn't. I've actually heard some people say that Hunter is in the pockets of big tobacco. I hope that's not the case. All right, and in other big news, the FDA has delayed compliance deadlines by three months. Now last week, Lindsay Tobias, Tobias, an FDA policy analyst, released a letter that stated that some of the deeming role compliance deadlines have been extended by three months. Now, this extension applies only for deadlines set for May 10th and later. It's only an extension of three months, but some experts are speculating that this could be news that something big might be in the works at least in terms of the FDA deeming rules. The FDA has delayed other ESIC industry compliance deadlines in the past, so this might not mean anything, but there was one particular statement in the letter that might suggest otherwise. So the letter stated that the three-month extension, quote, will allow new leadership at the FDA and the Department of Health and Human Services additional time to more fully consider issues raised by the final rule that are now the subject of multiple lawsuits in federal court. 
Now, this probably has something to do with the Nicopure versus FDA lawsuit, but also another big lawsuit that three major cigar industry groups, lobbying groups, have filed against the FDA, which is facing the same regulations as the e-cig industry. This extension means that the deadline for manufacturers to register with the FDA will be moved from June 30th to September 30th, and the deadline for submitting labeling and ingredients from August 8th to November 8th. Now, who knows if this will work in our favor or not, but at least we get an extra three months before vaping is entirely banned. All right, let's move on to the next topic. So could a small town in Wisconsin save the vaping industry? So back in February, I had talked about the local government of the village of Heartland, Wisconsin, actively trying to protect the vaping industry. This was after the well-known e-juice company, Johnson Creek, spoke to the village board about the possibility of being shut down due to the FDA's regulations. The village board clearly saw the risks of Johnson Creek shutting down or moving away, uh, mainly in the economic loss and the loss of jobs if Johnson Creek left. So they voted to help. Now, as I mentioned when I originally covered this news, local governments are allowed to interfere with federal laws if those laws negatively impact businesses within the local government. Uh, this is a little used but potentially very powerful law known as coordination. Uh, the law requires that federal agencies coordinate with state and local governments while planning rules and regulations. And this law was used more than 80 times against various federal agencies by Fred Kelly Grant, a former federal prosecutor who is also helping the village of Heartland fight the FDA. Now, Heartland has now held three days of hearings on the FDA rule and will be, spending, and will be sending a full report to the federal government showing how the FDA has failed to comply with federal law. The FDA did not attend the hearings, but they have stated that they will, quote, send a letter addressing the concerns of the village, end quote. What a cop-out, huh? So we'll have to wait and see how this all pl plays out since the coordination law has mostly pertained to land use issues and not issues like what we're seeing here with the vaping regulations, but it just might work. And if it does work, this would be huge because if a federal agency is found to have violated this law, their rules are then open to debate nationwide. So let's hope the village of Heartland the best here. All right, moving on. So is it unethical to buy vape products released after the deeming date? Now I'm a subscriber to a guy on YouTube by the name of Jacob Clare. And if you watch any of the big reviewers on YouTube, like Mike Vapes, Vape and Fagan, or Heavy Metal Vapor, you've probably heard of Jacob, or as they refer to him, the Make It Right guy. Now, Jacob has several channels, but there are two in particular that set Jacob's, Jacob apart from the other channels on YouTube. One of his channels focuses on the FDA's final rule, and the other corrects misinformation that other YouTubers share about regulations and proposed bills. Now, Jacob is a bit controversial due to his Make It Right series because he corrects people publicly for spreading misinformation. And no, nobody likes to be wrong, so it's never fun to have someone call you out, but I think most people can get over it. The thing about Jacob, though, is that he tends to say things like, this guy is spewing garbage, or this person needs to shut their mouth, you know, which is pretty harsh language. Uh, if he was a little nicer about the way he goes about correcting people, I, I don't think it would bother most people that much. But nonetheless, Jacob is a pretty smart guy, and his videos are very informative. I don't always agree with all of his interpretations of the bills that he reviews, but for the most part, I feel like he's usually correct. But there's one subject in particular that I don't agree with Jacob on, and that's his strong opposition to people not following the rules of the FDA's regulations, mainly in regards to manufacturers making and selling products in the U.S. after the FDA's deeming date of August 2016. So if you didn't know, one of the rules of the FDA deeming regulations are that new products can't be released if they were not already on sale on the date that the regulations took effect, which was August 2016. Anything before that time is temporarily grandfathered in until August 2018. Now when that time comes, all products will be banned if they weren't on the market before 2007, which is pretty much everything. Now most manufacturers followed this rule for several months, but then over time, manufacturers slowly started ignoring the rule, even though they claim that their product was on sale before the deeming date. 
it's pretty clear that a lot of manufacturers are just ignoring the rule at this point. So I want to talk about whether or not it's ethical for manufacturers to break this rule and if it's ethical for consumers to purchase these products. Now, like I said, I disagree with Jacob and one of his subscribers who tried to guilt me into thinking I was a bad person for using these products. Now, first, let me say that I would never suggest that a company break this rule. Now, if I owned a vape business, I would never put my business or my employees' jobs on the line just to, really, just to release a new product in the U.S. What if the FDA starts to go after these businesses? It's not worth it. But I would create a new product and sell it in countries where it is legal, like Europe. But either way, I could honestly care less about whether or not a manufacturer breaks this rule. But let me explain my reasoning. For one, a law doesn't mean it's right. Doing something illegal doesn't mean it's unethical. Now let's look at a few examples. A big one these days is legal marijuana. Anti-marijuana propaganda started in the 30s as a tactic to fund the Federal Bureau of Narcotics. It wasn't based on science or any other legitimate claims. The government pushed this propaganda and the public truly believed that smoking weed would make people crazy. It would create sexual deviance or lead to the use of harder drugs. Now we know today that that just isn't true. People who smoke weed know that it's no worse than drinking alcohol, and in reality, it's probably much safer than drinking alcohol in many ways. And marijuana is also useful for medical reasons, such as treating extreme pain, helping patients through treatment for cancer, and it can stop seizures. So in my opinion, smoking weed is not unethical, even while it was illegal. And here's another example. What about collecting rainwater? Now, I live in Colorado, where collecting rainwater was illegal until, until 2015 due to farmers' water rights. But research showed that 97% of this rainwater was lost due to evaporation operation and in surrounding vegetation. It wasn't reaching streams where farmers could use it. People broke this law and for good reason. Collecting rainwater reduces the water bill. It prevents water waste and it prevents homeowners from wasting good drinking water on gardens and flower beds. So was it unethical to break that law? I don't think so. And we can go back as far as the civil rights movement. Marching, protesting, and helping slaves to escape were all acts that were illegal at that time, but it was the right thing to do. My point is, breaking a law doesn't necessarily mean that you're doing something wrong. A law is not always a good measuring stick for what is right or wrong. So is manufacturing a product after the deeming date unethical? First, let's think about the FDA's reasoning for this rule. They want to protect the public from products that have not been reviewed and approved by them in order to, to protect consumers from a potentially dangerous product. But what about the products that were out before this deeming rule? Those products would have as much risk as any new products, if any. If you are against buying new products, you should be against buying old products. And what about actual tobacco? The FDA is not banning cigarettes, even though we know for a fact that it kills. And what are you going to do when the FDA's deadline for approved products comes in late 2000, 2018? If the current regulations are not changed by that date, all products prior to 2007 will be illegal. The only product you'll be able to vape will be a poor quality cigalike. Most vapors will probably return to smoking. Now, I think it's more ethical to break the law and save lives, wouldn't you agree? I'm not saying we should just break any law that we don't agree with, but we have to consider whether breaking a law results in a large benefit to people. The main reason people use vapor products is to quit smoking or to prevent smoking. The more products we have on the market, the more likely a smoker is to find something that appeals to them, something that helps them quit, something that helps them quit smoking. Now sure, there are many great products on the market on and before August 2016, but vapor technology progresses very quickly. We have a lot of products on the market right now that might technically be illegal, but they are exactly what someone needs to keep them from smoking. And something else to point out is that a consumer buying a product that came out after the deeming date is not illegal. How is a consumer expected to know something like that anyway? That's the duty of the vape shop selling it. So in the end, no, I don't think there's anything wrong with breaking this rule. If you want to abide by that rule, that's your prerogative, and I'll respect your opinion. But don't act like you're a saint and you've never broken a law in your life. And don't forget that 
uh, jaywalking, speeding, and not licensing your pets in your county are also laws that people break all the time. And Jacob, if you're watching this, I didn't mean for this to come off as an attack on you. It was simply an opinion of yours that I disagreed with, that I felt were sharing my own opinion on. Um, there are many other people out there that, that do agree with you. I just wanted to explain why I don't agree. And if you and if I haven't swayed your opinion on this in any way, I'd really love to hear your reasoning for your opinion on the subject. Who knows, maybe you'll change my mind. All right, moving on. So a new study shows that vaping doesn't promote cancer growth. In a new research study, researchers have found that there is no evidence that electronic cigarette vapor promotes the development of cancer. Now this is the first study of its kind that compares tobacco and electronic cigarettes. So just to be upfront, this study was developed by uh, British American Tobacco. I'm not saying that the results are influenced by them, but like any research study, conclusions can be influenced by whoever's performing the research or funding it, in this case, a big tobacco company. The researchers use what's called the BAS-42 assay, which is an in vitro short-term testing procedure designed to predict carcinogenicity, or in other words, a test to, to see if a chemical causes cancer. Now this test can distinguish between both genotoxic and non-genotoxic carcinogens. Genotoxins cause irreversible genetic damage, while non-genotoxins do not act on DNA but can promote cancer growth in other ways, such as by affecting hormones. Genotoxins and non-genotoxins are important to explain here because this is part of the comparison test that these researchers did. Studies have already determined that cigarette smoke is genotoxic on in vitro cell testing. It directly affects DNA. Cigarette smoke also contains non-genotoxins and promotes tumor growth, which have been determined with in vivo or, or in-body tests. Uh, the researchers compared tobacco smoke to vapor produced by the Vipe E-Pen electronic cigarette, which is a rechargeable BAT product tested at four volts using 18 milligram nicotine e-liquid. The puffs from the e-cigarette were three seconds each. This study shows that levels of toxic aerosol emissions from the Vipe E-Pen were 92 to 99% lower than that of a cigarette. Uh, the in vitro test found that vapor from the Vipe E-Pen did not cause mutation or DNA damage to the cells, while the cigarette smoke caused strong mutations and DNA damage. They also found lower oxidative stress in human lung cells with vapor when compared with cigarette smoke. In the end, the researchers concluded that e-cigarettes are likely a safer alternative to cigarettes. Not something we didn't know already, but another positive study to add to our list. Okay, so that's all I have for this week. You'll find the show notes for this episode on vapepassion.com. Just do a search for episode 68. If you want to support the show, consider donating to my Patreon page at patreon.com slash vapepassion. You can follow me on Twitter at vapepassion, and I'm also on Facebook if you want to leave me a comment. If you like the show, I'd love it if you gave me a review on iTunes. You can also catch the video version of the podcast on YouTube. If you'd like to get notifications of new reviews or of the show, you can sign up to receive my weekly email on vapepassion.com. And if you have any questions or comments, feel free to email me anytime at alex.baypassion.com. All right, I'll see you next week.